because I do think it applies to what we will be speaking on today. Is God enough to keep our hearts up, to keep our eyes lifted up, to keep our shoulders back and our lips high? Circumstances are difficult. Is God enough? I think it'll come together. I have to tell you, though, what's been on my heart over the last couple weeks, one is because I have a son, 11-year-old, who is a part of it, but the youth of Lakeside went to Dare to Share, and I heard good stories, I heard uh, testimonies, I heard wonderful opportunities. Very exciting to see what's happening with the youth. And on Saturday morning, we happen to have, because schedules are difficult, Saturday morning, 7 a.m. meeting here at the church. So we come on in, seven, I'm getting here about 6.55, it's cold, it's snowy, I'm tired, I knock on the door to get in, and I, and I look in the window, and there's just young men sleeping everywhere. All the young men of the church were here having an all-nighter. So one of the young men, in about two seconds, opens the door, a couple young men came, Tyson and a couple others, and they opened the door, and I said, good morning, good morning, we haven't slept yet. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm sure your parents will be so happy this afternoon. And Brad is a part of our meeting at 7 a.m. And Brad comes in in his socks and his sweats and he's like, I got a couple hours. The youth are a part and are exactly what we're going to be talking about today in Daniel. We're moving on from our vision series of love, care, and communicate because in our leadership meeting, we decided and determined that the church is perfect now. We know how to love, we know how to care, we communicate, it's time to, to go in a different direction. Obviously, I'm saying that in jest. So we decided we're going to go into the Old Testament. We're going to go into Daniel. And Mike Chisnell said to me this week, he asked me, what are we preaching on this week? I said, Daniel, he goes, aha, we're going old school. So here we go. Just a little comment on that. Sometimes we talk about Old Testament and New Testament. It's probably better if we learn the vernacular of first and second. It's not the one was replaced. The new does not replace the old. They work together. So today we're going to the first testament in the book of Daniel. And we're here to see what God has written. The book is basically broken apart into two sections. A narrative section, which are chapters 1 through 6. And then more of an apocalyptic or a prophetic section, chapter 7 through 12. They are a part of a whole. It's autobiographical. Daniel is the writer of the whole thing, spanning his life. However, they have very, very separate areas of focus. And I know, Carla, you wanted us to get to the prophetic aspects. We're going to hold off just a bit. And we're going to do the narrative section now. We're going to do chapters 1 through 6. And to see the dramatic stories that God has recorded for us through his servant Daniel that highlights the sovereignty and the control of God in all things. The title of the series, therefore, is Resolved, Centered on God When Surrounded by Alternatives. So keep that in mind as we go the next six weeks that we are resolved Centered on God when surrounded by alternatives. So if there is a big question to the series, it is this. How can the people of God 
remain faithful to God when living in a totally alien culture? That's the big question. If you want to write it down, you can just kind of ibit it for the next six weeks. How can the people of God remain faithful to God when living in a totally foreign and alien culture? Or for those of us that like it a little more relaxed, how do I make it another day for my God? Let us turn to Daniel chapter 1, focusing on verses 1 through 7 for our reading. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Let us pray together. Father God, we are so thankful that you are loving that you are eternal, and that you are in control. Lord, help us today to gather our thoughts around you, grab our hearts, our distracted minds, our ability to focus, Lord. Our ability to apply is not enough, but you are enough. Our desire to love you is not enough, but your desire to have us love you is more than enough. Our ability to understand is weak, but your ability to teach is greater than our inability to understand, and we thank you for it. So we turn to you, Lord, now, knowing that we are in the presence of your living and abiding Holy Spirit, knowing it is your will that we draw closer to you, and knowing that it is your will that we become a people of yours living in a foreign land for your honor and for your glory. And therefore, we accept nothing less than your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to focus our talk today under the title of Faith in Exile, and we're going to discuss it along three problems. Problem number one will be a group problem. Problem number two will be a circumstantial problem. And problem number three will be what comes out of it, a theological problem. Daniel, as we shall see, will have been hit with all of these 
and yet his faith remained intact. So we go into this discussion with hope and with courage, knowing that with problems, there is faith that can survive. We don't have to be a people that hope that we don't have problems so that our faith can survive. We can be the people that know that faith will survive and even thrive in the problems. Now that is good news because I think most of us are pretty confident we either are in a problem or just came out of a problem or one is right around the corner. Let's start with the group problem. I think it's fair to say that most of us love being a part of a group. We look for groups to be a part of. We're so happy to make it in a group until the group becomes a problem for us. And then we want out. Then we look for a different group that would help us, that would make our life better. And I think it's fair to say that sometimes groups help us along the way. They're wind at our back. And at other times, they are wind in our face. Let us look at the situation that Daniel found himself in. And because if you're like me at all, we need a little breadth of history to find. We're going to do this quick. We're going to take the funnel of history and we're going to bring it down. We have Israel created, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob became Israel. We have the nation in Egypt, captive to the Egyptians. And Moses, with the Exodus, maybe roughly 1500 BC, takes the people out. And via Joshua, they go into the promised land, and they become the people of God in Canaan, the promised land. If you go forward, we have King David and Solomon, and we have a united kingdom of Israel, 12 tribes worshiping God. But the cousins have a hard time and the brothers and sisters have a hard time getting along and they divide, they have a civil war. And as you're going along, maybe 1000 BC and, and, and somewhere in there and, and later, you have the two tribes. You have Israel in the north, which are the 10 tribes and you have the two tribes in the south, which are Judah. So now we have the terminology of Israel and Judah, but sometimes we all still refer to it as Israel. But they are broken apart and they fight. Israel and Judah, the people of God, starting to get fractured. And in here, we have many, many evil kings that leave the way of God. They've had a space, they've had a time of prosperity, and in their prosperity, they start to fall. They intermarry, they do different things. They have a couple good kings, but mostly bad kings. They move along, and we hit Israel first. Right around 700 BC, maybe 723 BC or so, we have a couple world powers that are trying to to fight to see who's going to be supreme. We have Israel, we have Assyria, we have Egypt, and we have the Chaldeans, Babylon. Just like today, you have people vying for supremacy and fighting each other. The Assyrians came in and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Effectively, this is where Israel, the northern kingdom, ceased to exist. Judah survived for a bit. Maybe another 100, 120 years or so, Judah survives. Now the Babylonians take over Assyria. They're now more powerful. They take over Assyria and they're going after Egypt. And on the way, they take over Judah. Right around 605 BC, we are sitting right where we started. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. 
So the funnel of history has now brought us down. Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are most likely teenagers sitting in Judah during this time. Their cousins to the north have been destroyed for 120 years. You think you might pay attention? Might be a little bit of a sign. The prophets of Jeremiah and others that are around at this time and a little later, Isaiah, prophesying judgment that will come. Clearly there's some that pay attention, but the group as a whole is not helpful. If you're a teenager in Judah at this time, it's not looking good. The group is not your friend. That's where Daniel finds himself. The group is not his friend. They have a few lessons to learn. The note that I wrote down for myself is, you know, you know when you ever kind of say these things, when you kind of maybe say to yourself, these people are killing me. Daniel literally could have said that. This group is going to be the end of me. The context we have for our story today, as far as we can tell, Daniel did nothing wrong. Look at what we're going to be reading, the stories we know from Sunday school. Daniel was a man of faith. Dan this is not a judgment on Daniel. Daniel and his friends are going to get the brunt of what their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents did. We must be resolved to live in faith with or without our group. We must be resolved to live by faith with or without our group. We are individuals of faith, first and foremost, part of a group, secondary. So now that we've kind of understand the group problem and the historical context here, let's turn on to our circumstantial problem. So we literally have this situation. We have Babylon comes in, besieges, and they literally take the best and the brightest of the youth. They walk in, they take Jehoiakim's court, the royal team probably left him in place to pay a bunch of taxes back. But either way, they come and take, they look around and they start interviewing. And this is not a good time to be a little taller, a little faster, and a little smarter. If you ever wanted to be average, this would be the time. Play dumb. I think you know the answer. No, I really don't. I think you do. You're coming with us. Be careful what we wish for sometimes, right? The responsibility comes with the rewards. They take the best and the brightest. You had the group. It weren't that helpful. But now, because of the group situation, you are pulled out, or I am pulled out. Daniel and his friends are pulled out. And they're not just pulled out and they get to say, fine, we'll just build a wall around. You can live how you wanted to live. No, we are literally going to take you and we're going to change your name. We're going to change you from the beautiful name to your Jehovah God. God is judge. Daniel might be wondering, am I being judged? And my name means God is judge. And now I have Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe just a little humorous point. I always wonder, why do we go Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why don't we ever do Belteshazzar, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We just kind of, Daniel got to keep his name. Everyone else has to get their Babylonian names. I don't know. If you have the answer, let me know. They're pulled out. They're going to have to eat different food. They're going to have to learn different literature. They're going to say, hey, read this book, study this, a different language. They have to go to Babylon U. They're going to get three years. They're going to be indoctrinated. And then they're going to come stand before the king. So you came from a group that was basically lost sight of who God was. The judgment of God has come. You've had hundreds of years of this. Now you're being taken to a group that has even no sense of God. If one who had kind of lost its way, this one has a complete violence towards God. Sign up, raise your hand if you want to be a parent that has your teenager taken from you early in their life into this situation and say, I'm going to feel good. I think they'll be okay. How many of us as parents going individually would feel like, I'll be all right. The circumstantial problem was significant. But there's also a lot of fear. I mean, Daniel and his friends, again, they were the bright ones, so they kind of figured some things out. This is a pretty violent people. The likelihood, if you're an insurance actuary and saying, what's the likelihood that Daniel's going to live to 85 at this point? You're saying, I think it's pretty low. We're not giving him an insurance policy. The chances of him living more than five years, not good. Nebuchadnezzar, if he doesn't like you, if something goes wrong, he kills you. You just look ahead in chapter 2, verse 12. He's asking them a question. He's going to get into this. We don't do this today. But just the idea of the context of the type of people for the circumstantial problem. Because of this, the king said, I want you to interpret the dream. And they said, okay, tell us. No, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to, make, you have to figure out what my dream was and interpret it. And if you can't do that, I'm not only killing you, I'm killing everybody who's a wise man, including Daniel and his whole team. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the boys there, right? We're going to use their Babylonian names, too, for ease. We are probably going to die. (laughs) If we don't die, we have to go through their schools, their customs, without our parents, without our church, without anything. we got a problem. And I think, and I heard this, uh, Alistair Begg did a real nice job sharing this with, most of us would now come down to one of two options. We would either fight tooth and nail right then, right now for our God, because we get it over quick. Fight, 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 pick up a stone, throw it at them, so they throw a spear at us and it's over and we can be martyrs and go to heaven. So fight like crazy. Or, hey, we just got to go along with the program. One of those two. But living in the middle Absorbing that of the culture that is reasonable and proclaiming our faith in God is the tough road and is the one that it's not often traveled. We are people of extremes and we go to the extreme that is most comfortable for us. Some of us are fighters and we want to fight so we can just either win or lose. Other of us like to go along so everything's easy and we go there. But the middle road is not one that we are as comfortable with. I want to bring this home a little bit right now. We prayed about it, and this is what I was talking about with Brian. 
There are some significant personal challenges, circumstantial challenges that are existing with us right now. If we dwelt on this too long, we would come to tears, many of us. Our hearts would be heavy. Right now, your minds, many of you, are going to the job situation, the financial situation, the health situation, those that have just passed, those that are passing, the friends that have broken our hearts, those ones we opened up to that trampled it, the family dynamics that don't seem like a family at all. We look to those around us in our bigger groups and they're failing us. We look at our circumstances and they're scaring us. And I think that is one of the reasons that God gives us stories like this to say, I know. Daniel gets it. He's got a big problem. He's homesick, he's lonely, he's scared, he's frustrated. I'm not sure where he learned where he learned it. He has a sense of faith in his Jehovah God, but he's got some big fears and big problems, as do you and I. We don't have to pretend they don't exist. We have to know that God is in the midst of them. He's aware. He has either commanded them to happen via a judgment And if we watch some of this, the destruction of Israel and Judah, both kingdoms, were prophesied judgments for ongoing unrepentant sin, or he has allowed them to happen so that God would be glorified. Who has sinned that this man is born blind? It teaches us in the Second Testament. Well, neither is so that God may be glorified. But either way, God is sovereign over the circumstances, pushed or allowed, directed or allowing to happen. It is critical for us to be able to answer the question, is God around when it seems so dark? So we got our circumstantial problem happening and we have it handled. Our takeaway point number two for me, if you'd like to write down a thought or two, is that Daniel in this situation, we're going to learn more of this next week with Peter and as we go on in the stories with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But one of the big takeaways we can see is that in the autobiographical nature of what he wrote, we have a tone, and the tone is they dealt with it. They, to a degree, embraced their circumstances. This is where we're at. This is where God put us. This is where we will thrive. Some people will call it an attitude. Some people will call it a resolve. But the ideas of strengthening our mind in Jesus Christ by His Holy Spirit to say, in this place and in this time, I will deal with these circumstances and I will deal with them to God's glory and for His fame. They had an attitude of faith to deal with it. It is healthy for us to read history. I've read at least a reasonable amount of history of prisoners of war. One of the things that they have in common is if they were in the most violent of circumstances, and they ask, what kept you going for your five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years as a prisoner? And routinely, whether they are prisoners for their faith or for their country, 
they will say, no matter how much control was taken away from me, and to the point of almost complete control, they will do the mental gymnastics that would do things like even keep count of the things that were taken away from them. There was one prisoner that said, what did you do? Well, I laid in bed at night, shackled. I couldn't do anything. I wasn't even allowed to eat, move. They would brutalize me at every turn, take everything away, light, any kind of sensory perception, friends, communication, reading, anything. And he goes, well, what did you do to keep yourself sane? I kept track in my mind of the things that were taken away. Let me start thinking about that. That's an attitude of faith. And of attitude of keeping control that God has given us. We do partner with God in these things. And I want to give it to us here. We can control some of our attitudes. There are times that things overwhelm us. But people, you and I, we have got to embrace an attitude of faith. There's a, a syndrome called the Stockholm Syndrome. And it really comes about in this way that we're talking about here. Because of our you know, captivity, because of what's come upon us, it is very easy to go along with and start to think like our captors. It would have been very easy, and they've got stories of it happened in Stockholm, Sweden, the individuals. It happened with Patty Hearst. It happened, if you read some of this history, it's very interesting. Well, you start to think more like your captor because psychologically, if they keep us alive, if I go along, I start to go this way. Daniel and his friends could have easily went with these individuals. They're more powerful. Look, they got this great food. They got this great university. They have better literature. They have more knowledge. They've built greater things. Their armies are stronger. They liked us. They took us as their best. They're not killing us. They're trying to train us, teach us, coach us. We might become leaders. Daniel did become a leader, a statesman. I like the Babylonians better than I like the Judaites. They're at least consistent to their vision. It is important that we understand where we are at in our life and pay attention and keep control of our minds and what we think about and what we know. Learn to deal with our circumstances. All right, so now let's bring us to our third problem, our theological problem. The Israelites, the Judaites, Israel as a whole, we as a church, Israel extended have this kind of thought and we cannot get away with it. And the reason we can't get away from it is we're supposed to have it to a degree. It's just not yet. This idea of heaven, the idea it is not all as it should be as believers of God. If God is love and God is good and I love God and I love good, therefore I will get all that is loving and I will get all that is good. Right? Yes. Just not now. When? Tomorrow? Maybe. Heaven is real. God is love. God is good. All that is bad, all that is painful, all that is hurtful will be gone. And therefore that sense that we expect that, we have this expectancy to live that way is true. And it is our hope that keeps us going that way. But when it is not now, we start to question, does God exist? And if it's not for a week, if it's not for a month, we start to sit here and we go, well, let me see this now. God is good and God is loving. I have bad things happen to me and I have all kinds of unloving things happening to me. Either three things come up. God is not loving or good. 
God is not all-powerful because he's incapable of doing that which is loving or good, or God doesn't exist in the first place. Israel's gone. How do the promises of God seem to exist now? Judah just got ransacked. I'm one of the few guys of faith. I'm sitting here in Babylon. Babylon is prospering. Israel is faltering. God is loving. God is good. Doesn't look like it to me. They have gods too. Let's distinguish for the purposes of discussion. God, big G, Jehovah God, Yahweh, Messiah. Little G gods all over the place. Maybe their little G gods are better than my big G God. We have a theological problem. Imagine being a teenager dealing with this right now. God's judgments are hard to fathom in the near. Every one of us, I suspect, would say, do you believe that a loving, righteous God all loving, has to put out judgment in order to keep his children together. Does there need to be a spanking? Does there need to be a discipline? Does there need to be a holy time out periodically so that God can keep us going forward in the way that is best for us? Absolutely. But what if it's happening to me in my group, in my situation over a long period of time? Both either for my sin, the sin of the nation, the sin of the group, the big picture, yeah, and that's where I'm going to have a few problems. Gets a lot harder to embrace the judgment and the righteousness of God when it is extended for an ongoing period of time and it affects me personally. We become a lot less confident in the beauty and the love and the character of God. So how does a faith thrive? Because at this point, we've got to be getting a little bit down. I think we're all about two inches lower right now. You know, we've got these group problems. We've got these circumstantial problems, which leads to theological problems. If you came into the message 20 minutes ago and didn't have a theological problem, and you have one now, we might say, Pastor, what are you doing? I'm walking in with more problems than I came in with. How does a faith thrive? in this kind of a situation. Because our premise is this is the situation that we are all in. Therefore, how does a faith thrive? A couple learning points for us today, and then we'll bring it, bring it home. Whatever the greater circumstances are, we have got to be people that teach. We have to be teaching our children who God is. If we believe it, if we know it to be true, in the times of prosperity, in the times that we are together, in the times that we have freedom, time, money, and opportunity, we have got to use it in order to teach his precepts. We've got to get from Genesis to Revelation in the time that is allotted for us. 
Because there will become a time where the book will be closed, where the captive nation will take us. We will, we will not have it. Where the stories of some of our parents and our grandparents, where they had you know, maybe a little section of John or a little couple pages they, they stole away and they put it in. Or 1 Corinthians 13 that maybe they memorized. Or John 3. And they were in camp and they had no Bible and they could only regurgitate that which they knew from memory. At that moment, we're going to wish we had something in our memory. If we can't remember the passages, but we can remember the songs, let's make sure we're singing songs that have the scripture in them. Not just random songs that could be love songs. We're like, wait a minute, was that, was that Green Day or was that a Christian you know, psalm? We have got to be teaching ourselves the word of God. And this is a good time to pray for Nelda because she's taken on it the teaching for our youth in Sunday school. This is a great time to think about Brad. This is exactly why I mentioned where my heart was warm when you walk in on a Saturday, seven in the morning. A couple weeks ago, we had Dare to Share, and there's all the men sleeping on the church floor. Praise God for that. Young people, I'm so glad most of you sit together. It's so easy to just look at you. If there's somebody over there, I'm not trying to leave you out. Don't think you're going to get to know what's written in the book of Daniel or Exodus or Lamentations or Hosea or Revelation when you're 50. You may. This is the time. This is the time. Yeah, you want to hang out with your group. Remember, the group can be your friend or the group can be your enemy. This will never be your enemy. This will always be your friend and it will carry you. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Paul teaches to those in Roman. And we cannot teach people that which we don't know. If we were honest, some of us would say, the reason I don't evangelize, the reason I don't teach, I don't know enough. Worst excuse I've ever heard of in my life. Get to know it. Learn with those that we're teaching. I'm absolutely positive I had a teacher in biology in high school that we as a ch uh, students knew more because she was going over the book the night before because she was forced to teach biology and never did it before. But we learned biology and we passed and we graded and she helped out. You're laughing because people are pushed into it. We need to teach. Takeaway point. We need to teach. We need to create habits. We need to be learners. The attitude of learning if, you, if somebody's not teaching you, knock on somebody's door. Say, I need you to teach me. I need you to mentor me. I need you to meet with me at 6 in the morning at a Bible study. Don't wait for someone to push you. Push them. Those that grow up to great things demand great things of those people around them. Learn, study, pray, meditate. Memorize. When we're in scripture, it'll be easier for us to believe then. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And it finishes almost the same way. For those who are called according to his purpose. It's one of the most well-known verses, but yet we struggle with it. If we love God, if we love him, we'll be in his word and we will pray and we'll study and we'll, and we'll find things out. Not at every moment. We will struggle. We're human. We will fail. But in the mass, 
And what will happen then is our confidence. This is not what we do. This is what we put ourselves in position for God's doing. He will increase our faith. And when he increases our faith, we will be able to stand against the trials of the evil one and of the judgments that God allows to grow us up into maturity. Our faith will survive. Not only will it survive, it will thrive. In the great obstacles come the great miracles. If Daniel lived a life that went normally, basically, let's say the Daniel before him, the one 80 years ago in Judah, we don't know his name because he was not common to us. The reason we know of Daniel, because his trials were so severe that he was they were put into a fiery furnace, he was put into a lion's den, he was supposed to be killed in chapter 2. They survived these things. They're such miracles. Their faith created such a dramatic story of God's glory and God's grace that we would say, I would love to have Daniel's trials as long as I knew Daniel's outcome. With great trials comes a great testimony for the glory of God. But we can't be comfortable in them unless we believe that all things work together for good. The ultimate good of my soul and the soul of those around me, even in difficult circumstances. If we believe that, life is lived differently. It's lived joyfully. It's lived with an embrace of the good and the bad. It says, I am thankful to God for all things, the good and the bad, how things go up and how things go. How is that possible? Because I believe that they all work together for good, and I can't wait to see the good. Basically, here, I'm going to go right back to the youth. It was the youth. It was the teenagers. It was Daniel and his friends which made sure that the church, i.e. Israel, the faith, survived. Wow. Imagine the story if they failed. God gives grace for the trial. But he expects us to be a people of repentance in every one of those points, the teaching, the habits, and the confidence. Every one of them has a subpoint: judgment and repentance. Teaching. We're going to find ourselves in a time where we are being judged and we need to repent. We need to repent, people. And then when we are studying and memorizing and going along our way, we're also going to be flawed. We're going to struggle both ways. We need to see the hand of God and we need to repent. And as we live in a foreign land and teach the ways of the Lord and try to live upright, we need to seek God's hand and we need to be quick to repent. We put that together. I believe we will have our conclusion. We will have our knowledge that God is loving and God is in control. And that we can have a faith in a foreign land. Our passport says citizens of heaven. Our dominion says a house in Ohio Exiles, slave to the prince of the air that's given dominion for a time. We are exiles. We are not in our home. But we can live as people of faith to God's glory. Let's pray. Father God, 
the fact that you are, that you will continue to be, that even though it escapes us in its completeness, the knowledge that you are loving and that all things will work to our good and your glory in the ultimate gives peace to our hearts and gives integrity to our hands and gives courage to us. We ask you, Lord, to be bigger and bigger here at Lakeside. Heal our hearts. Move us in a direction for your glory. Let us embrace our difficult circumstances that people can see our faith and that they may ask us, where is that faith coming from? And then let us be quick to say, Lord, it is all my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all this, Lord, confidently in your name. Amen.